0: I'm looking at your Instagram now and 43,000 followers you said you had zero followers two years ago
1: yep June 2020 I devoted time every single day I really grinded that Instagram account <laughs> it wasn't just me showing up on some funny reels that was a lot of work to get there. I think once I figured out how to both grow my page and convert Instagram followers into listeners, my podcast grew like crazy. So in the second year of my podcast, I quadrupled the downloads from year one.
0: Hello, you're listening to Podcast Growth Hacks where I talk to podcasters of all experience levels to unpack the most powerful growth tactics they used to grow their podcast. I'm Pat Chomp. And if you're a podcaster, well then subscribe so that together we can all learn and experiment with how to grow our own podcasts. Today, we're chatting with Jillian Teets, the host of Sober Powered Podcast, with over 120 episodes. Sober Powered is a top 50 podcast in the mental health category. Professionally, Jillian has a master's in biology, but not long ago, she quit her full-time job in biotech and started her own business to focus on providing education around addiction and podcasting. Today, along with her podcast, Sober Powered, She also runs her own podcast network called Sober Powered Media. And with five of the top mental health podcasts in the network, they get around 400,000 downloads per month. Welcome to the show, Jillian.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. Well, today we wanna learn what you did to grow your podcast, Sober Powered. But first, tell us a little bit about your podcast. What's it about?
1: So my podcast is all about helping people understand why they have a problem with alcohol and why other people don't. So I wanted to break down like the whole belief that it's because we're losers or we're weak-willed or we don't have self-control. So I explain what's going on in the brain to make us more vulnerable to developing an addiction and also how to get out of it and how to learn to cope so that you can stay sober.
0: That's really interesting. So how did you get into this? What inspired you to start the podcast?
1: Well, I am almost three years sober myself. So it was my own um, blowing up my life with alcohol that inspired me to learn about it. I never intended to make a podcast. I was just some lady from the Boston area that no one knew of. And I just wanted to understand for my own benefit, why this happened to me and why it didn't happen to someone else. And I started researching it every day because when you stop drinking, you gain a lot of time. (sighs) So I filled up my time by researching addiction. And it wasn't that much of a stretch for me because, like you said in the intro, I worked in biotech, so I had a lab job. And that was a main part of my job was keeping up with the latest research. So I just applied that to addiction. Mm. And then eventually, eight months into my sobriety, I had learned so much about it and it helped me let go of the shame and, and blaming myself that I just woke up one day and I was like, everybody needs to know this. And then I just put out my podcast that same day. I'm very impulsive too. <laughs> um, so when I decide to do something, I just do it. And I didn't know how to do it. And I I actually Zoom called myself because I could not figure out how to record. So I had a zoom call by (laughs) myself. Yeah, that's how that's the only way I knew it. So I recorded on zoom, uploaded it to Buzzsprout, because that's what Google said was good. (laughs) And then I just put it out. And I made some quick little boring logo on Canva, which I also didn't know how to use. Mm. And that was that.
0: Wow. So that was how, how long ago was that when you started it?
1: So that was June 2020, so a little over two years ago.
0: 2020. And were you already kind of on your journey to sobriety, or was it something you did to maybe kickstart your journey?
1: No. When I was drinking, I would spend my time researching, how do you moderate or how do you control Mm. your drinking? It wasn't (laughs) until I stopped drinking that I wanted to understand, like, why me?
0: Got it. And how long after you stopped drinking did you decide, okay, this is the time to put the message out into the world?
1: Eight months. So the first eight months, I just kind of did my own thing, had some support on Facebook, eventually started going to therapy, but I wasn't really an active member of the sober community till eight months in when I started my show.
0: And I imagine even eight months in, it's pretty tough staying on that journey. Does a podcast help at all having that social accountability?
1: It really does, and a lot of people, even if they stay sober for a while, Mm -hmm. our mind still tells us, like, you weren't that bad, or maybe it's been long enough, and you can moderate now. You've learned so much. Like Our mind is always convincing us that it's going to be different this time, so having my show and having people like wake up on Friday morning and look forward to my episodes, Mm -hmm. it makes it easier for me to not indulge those weird thoughts. So it keeps me on my path because I feel like my work is really important. And I know that I could never lie to my audience mm-hmm. if I was trying, you know, controlled drinking again. I could never lie to them and keep doing it and pretend like I was still sober.
0: I mean, I'm totally rooting for you. I love the topic and I love your journey. Uh, I mean, if you did, I don't even want to put that thought out there, but if you did, would you actually tell your audience? Or is that something that's just way too difficult?
1: Uh, I don't know. There are are some people in the sober community that have tried to moderate. And what they do is they just kind of quietly disappear. Mm. I don't know of any podcasters that have done it. Because it's easier to disappear from social media than it is to disappear to a show that you've been doing for like 120 weeks (laughs) regularly. So I would probably have to tell them and... And I feel like a lot of people would be hurt and let down. And Mm -hmm. no one would be mad at me because they understand the thought process. But I think I would let a lot of people down.
0: That's interesting. So when you started the podcast, um, first of all, once again, I love the topic and I love the niche. Did you look at the industry in general or the niche in general to see if there's other podcasts like that?
1: No. (laughs) I did that (laughs) later. Um, I just figured no one's probably going to listen to this anyways cuz no one knew who i was and i'm just going to put it out there because it feels like something i should do and and that's what i did and then eventually i was like okay well now how do i get people to listen cuz the first day i put it out i had 9 listens and two of them were me and one was my mom so it wasn't like a lot of people that were listening but eventually it started to grow but it was really slow <laughs>
0: Mm. and when did you like in what episode were you like you know what i'm tired of these nine listeners i want to <laughs> i want to increase this listener count when did you start doing that
1: i think around like pretty early i think around episode three maybe because i had also just got on instagram when at the mm. same day i launched with no followers and mm. then i saw like so many people have all these followers like 50,000 <laughs> followers and they look so cool. So I got like sucked into that excitement and I wanted that for myself. So then I immediately started thinking like how can I get more listeners and so right from episode 3 and then I'm like what topics would would get people really interested. But it, it was hard. I had to learn a lot.
0: And were you literally starting from zero like you didn't even have like a personal Instagram account?
1: I had a personal one with like not very many people. And I didn't Mm -hmm. want like my family and my old work colleagues to listen (laughs) to my podcast about my drinking. Mm -hmm. So I did not share it personally. Mm -hmm. I actually kept it, I kept it very separate and I made sure that none of those people would find out and I didn't want any overlap across the social media. I didn't use my full name on the new account for a while. I just said Jill so that mm. if people were searching for me, they wouldn't find me. Yeah, so I really protected it from from my personal network.
0: Mm. And how are you now? Are you a lot more open about it?
1: Yeah, now that I do it full time, it it still feels hard. There's a lot of people that are coming back from LinkedIn, like everyone I've ever worked with has been looking at my LinkedIn page, and some are following me and that feels uncomfortable. Like, I feel like everyone's looking at my work now and they're like, oh my God, I didn't know Jill had a problem. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe it's nosiness, but I'm hoping it's just support and feeling like proud of me. But Mm. it's really hard to share that with people that knew you professionally.
0: Yeah, exactly. And something we learn in podcasting is always like, put yourself out there, you know, leverage your current networks. And yeah, I could see that could be very hard for a subject matter like this. And I mean, it's even hard for me to portray myself as a podcaster as something I've never done before. So even as a content creator, it's very different. Are you still kind of overcoming that right now or?
1: Yeah, I would say I'm closer to the point where I don't care. And it's just whatever, but it's still awkward for me. And family that maybe didn't know, like, it just feels weird. Like, I don't know, are they going to listen to it? Like, what episode are they going to listen to? (laughs) Um, Some are very vulnerable, so hopefully not those. Like, are they going to look through my Instagram? Like, I just don't know what they're going to look at. Mm -hmm. So I feel really vulnerable about that.
0: Sure, sure. Well... So going back to when you said in the beginning, right around episode three, you started thinking, how do I get more listeners? So what are some of the tactics you did lean into in those very early stages?
1: I tried to pick really exciting topics that I knew would be clickbait. Like episode (laughs) four was about sex. Mm. So I thought like, oh, that's going to get a lot of people. It was about like how alcohol affects sex Mm -hmm. and it didn't get a lot of people (laughs) and then (laughs) and I kept trying that and then I would try like I was still doing the new episode as outpost because I thought that's just like what you're supposed to do so I was trying like if I could just put the description on it and if they would just look at it before scrolling then they would want to listen so I kept trying to find ways to get them to at least look at the post and read it Um, And I tried different iterations of the new episode is outpost over that first year. And each one got a little bit better, but Mm -hmm. it's still like very low reach, very low engagement. And my main source of success, I think, in the beginning was Facebook groups. There's a lot of Facebook groups about sobriety. And I joined them and I didn't just spam everybody. You know, here's my link. Listen to my show. People would ask questions. So they would ask, you know. I'm 13 days sober and I just want a thousand pounds of sugar. Like, why do I feel this way? Is this normal? And I would comment with the actual answer. Hmm. I would explain why they want so much sugar and, you know, assure them that it's normal. And then I would say, by the way, I have a podcast episode on this topic. If you're interested in learning more about it, I can send you the link. So I'd have like a short paragraph of the actual answer And then just like a little sprinkle at the end. And that got me a lot of success because then you create a thread and it's like, oh, send me the link, send me the link. And then it draws more attention to your comment. Mm -hmm. So I think that was my Instagram took much longer, but I think Facebook groups was where I really started to get some traction.
0: Interesting. And how often were you doing this Facebook technique?
1: Every day. I like when I committed to this podcast, I committed to an every single day grind. And I still work that way now that I'm building a business and I'm new. Every single day grind because that's what it takes for the most part. Like maybe you don't have to do seven days a week, but you could do four or five depending Mm -hmm. on what you have going on. But you have to be present and you have to keep pushing it and and like getting it in front of people and Sometimes it's going to take them like six months to even give it a chance, but you just have to keep sharing it and pushing it for people to listen.
0: Yeah, I've always wondered about this Facebook group, because sometimes I'll like pop in a group and I see these people, you know, they're always posting and I kind of want to dive into that tactic a little bit. I know that's not the main tactic we're going to talk about, but. What did you do? Did you just have the group open at all times and just kind of looking at messages? Like how many hours a day were
1: you actually in there? One to two, maybe, I would Mm -hmm. guess. One to two per day. And I would just go through and look at the posts or look at the comments or something. And I was a very active member of one group. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will say, like, join 15 groups. You can't give 15 groups your attention. You can give one big group your attention, though. The -hmm. one I joined had like 25,000 members at the time, and I was so present in there, and I was helping people so much that even though I was promoting my podcast in every single comment I made, they actually made me an admin because I was supporting the group so well. So it's not a skeevy like spammer tactic, Mm -hmm. if you just sprinkle it in at the end of of a helpful comment. But it's when people go in and they're like, new episode is out. Listen Mm -hmm. to my show. And they're just like, me, 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 me. That's when you get blocked. So you have to be helpful first and -hmm. then just like 1% listen to my thing.
0: And are you still doing that today?
1: No. Nope. Um, (laughs) I do not have time for Facebook. I think I did it. Pretty diligently, for maybe the first eighteen months, hmm. and then I got really tired of it, and Instagram started taking off, and that's when I devoted my efforts to Instagram. And then I started getting a lot of word of mouth and was having other people share my show. So I didn't need to do the Facebook grind anymore. Um, so I so you can eventually transition out of it to other things, but I think depending on your niche, it can be super effective. In the beginning
0: mm-hmm. and i want to dive into your instagram tactic that you call sneak attack but before we get into that even i want to get into your background a little bit more you mentioned the grind doing this grind every day and i listened to one of your episodes where you talked about transitioning from your full-time job at a biotech firm to starting your business full-time like when did you decide to do that how many episodes into your podcast did you decide you know what? I think there's something here. And two parts of that question is it sounds like you did the grind long before you started to go full time, right? <laughs> like it seems like right in the beginning you committed to it pretty hard. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, a lot of people have the expectation that you can just show up and everyone's going to follow you and you can make six figures in 5 minutes of having your podcast out, and that is just not true for most people. And I started as a completely unknown person who did not want to share with my personal network. So I had zero people and I did the grind every single day for two years straight before I left my full-time job. Like it, it takes a lot of work.
0: And did you have the intention eventually I'm going to do this full-time or were you just like, I'm just going to grind and see where it goes.
1: So the first year I just wanted to grind and get my show out there. But then around the one year mark, was when I started having thoughts of like maybe this could actually be a thing for me and I didn't think that I would be a podcaster full-time I wasn't sure what it would look like because I knew that was very challenging but I thought that I could do something like this full-time and I just started grinding harder and and just thinking about my options for the next year
0: Hmm. Yeah, and tell us the transition from going full-time with, with the company and going to business full-time for yourself.
1: Yeah, so before, when I was working a full-time traditional job, I worked in a lab, so I was like at work a lot, like five days a week. Like I couldn't do my job from home and like slack off. Sometimes I had to actually like be in the lab doing work. Hmm. So I would I would wake up early, work for a couple hours. Go to work, work all day, come home, work for a couple hours, <sighs> wow. work the whole weekend, repeat for years. Like I really mm-hmm. took it seriously. And when I finally decided it was time to leave, I hadn't replaced my income, but I had hope that I was going to. And I'm also married and I can get insurance from my husband. So there was more security there. So if I didn't have that, I would have just. You know, kept grinding. But mm-hmm. when I left, it was weird. I went from like working forty hours off hours on my show to now I get to work like eighty hours. <laughs> <Now> <laughs> I get to just work full time, double full time on my podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I'm willing to do it because I, it is becoming very successful, and I mm-hmm. see it happening, and I genuinely enjoy it. But. It was weird because I also had to tell people I worked with, like, what I was up to. So I Mm -hmm. had to reveal, like, I'm sober. (laughs) (laughs) I am a problem drinker. Surprise. Mm -hmm. And so that part was awkward. um, But it was the right decision. And I'm really grateful that I did it. I think if I had rushed it and done it sooner, I probably would have failed. I needed those two years Mm-hmm. To really fine tune my message and my expertise and my marketing skills and my podcasting skills. So, so I needed the time.
0: Yeah, that's great. Two years is uh, a short amount of time in the bigger scope of things. Was there a milestone you were looking at before you quit your job and kind of started your own business that you're like, when I hit this milestone, this is when I'll do it? What, what was that milestone?
1: yeah my goal which i did not hit by the way but my goal was to get to 4000 a month before taxes from my podcasting work hmm. that and i said if i can get there then i can like it's easier to get much higher than that mm-hmm. and that's when i'll leave and devote like all my efforts to it But I didn't hit that because like work was really difficult for me. I had some people that were very critical and like insulting me and and making me feel bad about myself. Hmm. And it was getting to the point where I felt like I don't need to feel bad like this anymore. And I just quit where if it wasn't that kind of situation, I would have stayed longer to Mm. hit that goal. But yeah, I was kind of like rushed out a little bit before I was ready because I because it was taking a toll on my mental health.
0: Right. So you didn't quite hit your 4,000. So what is your business model? Is it around your podcast, around downloads or is it something else?
1: So I have a network and that's my main source of income. Mm. So I make money through ads. So I monetize my show and then I have five other shows. So I'm potentially selling 400,000 impressions a month, which is pretty significant. And I do dynamic ad insertion. So, no baked in ads for any podcasters listening to this. Never do baked in ads ever. I did it. It was a mistake. Don't do it. But I do dynamic ads. So, um, the ad plays across every episode of the podcast. And then you just remove it, put a new ad in. So I'm responsible for that side of it, the the ad side and and managing those campaigns. Mm -hmm. And it's rev share. So I take a cut of the ad money for each show.
0: What is the split you have with your shows?
1: So I take 20%.
0: Okay. Yeah. That sounds pretty standard. Why not baked in ads? I think a lot of podcasters, that's what they kind of know. Dynamic ad insertions, It's it's a little bit newer and a little bit trickier technologically. Why do you prefer one over the other
1: because when you do baked in you are eventually giving a brand free marketing Mm -hmm. imagine if you run your show for four years and your back catalog gets a lot of downloads and the, the ad is still there years later they are not paying you for it to stay there so, and the other thing is if you do want to move to dynamic ads, that's taking up a spot. Like you don't want to put too many ads in your show. So you either have to go edit and remove them all, which is what I did, or just don't have them in there at all. So I think doing dynamic is better because then you can keep getting new sponsors and, and you're not giving someone free advertising for years. And a lot of podcasters will undercharge, especially in the beginning. undercharged because they Google it and they get some number off Google and they don't really feel confident. So they do some low number. So then you're giving the brand free marketing even sooner. So I would just say get on Buzzsprout for like twelve or fifteen dollars a month and they can let you do dynamic ads. And then you just run the ad that way. It's they make it really easy.
0: So you actually take the pains of taking out your baked-in ads?
1: Yep, so I edited out baked-in ads. I think it was like 70 episodes that I had them in. Yeah, and then I have another show in my network that has baked-in ads, and now I have an intern. She is editing out (laughs) the baked-in ads for my podcaster, but it is a lot of work to go back through, and if you didn't keep a good record, or you didn't like keep track of your episodes and organize them well, it's very hard to remove all of that.
0: Yeah, and even diving into that a little bit deeper, for the sponsors that you did contracts with for those baked in ads, did you have to tell them that you had to remove them? Or how did you handle some of those older sponsors?
1: Yeah, so I think if you're signing contracts with someone, just be careful not to say like permanent, like the ad's going right. to be in there for all eternity. I signed a like a three-month contract, so the sponsorship is for three months. Mm. So then, you know, if you let it go three months longer, every episode has had three months of the baked-in ad being there, and it's safe to remove. Uh, so I would just say, Be careful in your negotiations. And if you don't have a contract at all, then, you know, you don't have to worry about removing (laughs) it.
0: And I'm also curious, did you ever do any kind of calculation of like, was your back catalog getting a lot of downloads? Like, did you get ROI on doing all the work of removing all the ads and everything?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My back catalog gets a ton of downloads. Probably if I had to guess, like close to half of my monthly downloads are from my back catalog. And there's a lot of people for all podcasts that will go start at episode one. Yeah, there are a lot of people that go back to old episodes.
0: So. Uh, Before we dive into your main hack, let's spend a little time talking about your network since you brought it up. So your network, how did you get your first five? Because like you said, 400,000 downloads per month. That's a lot. How did you convince them to join your network?
1: Yeah, that was the scary part. Like, hey, I want to make a network, but there's no show in it yet. Would you like to join? (laughs) That's the really scary part. Well, there's Uh, your
0: show. You had a show that sounds like it got pretty successful, right?
1: Yeah, but to join a a network of one is is scary too. (laughs) But I approached three people that I was friendly with and I asked them, would you like to join? I have this crazy idea. I have the connections now to make it work. Here's the plan. I really want to take good care of you. I'm not trying to take your IP. I'm not trying to put a logo on your cover art or, you know, take over your show in any way. And once I got those first three in, they all kind of joined around the same time. So much easier to get more shows because I Mm -hmm. already had three, besides mine, three very successful shows. And then now I have five other shows with 400,000 downloads. Like now it's even easier to get people in. So I think having friends in your niche It's really important to befriend other podcasters that cover the same topic Mm because you never know. And maybe they could start the network someday and you could be the founding member of it.
0: Right. Totally makes sense. And were these shows already selling ads on their podcasts?
1: Two out of three were. Yeah. I see.
0: And it sounds like the main value proposition for them was that you are going to handle all the ad sales for them. Is that true?
1: Yeah. So it's a combination of that. And then helping them with marketing and increasing downloads. Like for one of my shows, when I publicly revealed the network, that show jumped from number 100 on the mental health charts up to number 60. Wow. So the power of having so many downloads a month is that we can promote each other. And I know how to promote too, just from what I've learned So I'm helping them increase their listeners. So it's, it's that connecting with other people that have different expertise from you. We do a mastermind every month Mm, and mm -hmm. then it's also the monetization part and like, it's basically like free money. Like all they have to do is record the ad. They don't get the sponsor. They just have to agree. And then I send them the talking points and then they record the ad and then stuff happens that they're not aware of and then they get paid for it. And that's it.
0: (laughs) No, those are great benefits. And I want to dive into how you actually got them to increase in their downloads and in their rank. But for the Two podcasts you said that were already doing their own sort of ad sales. Did they have any qualms about giving away 20% or were they already giving that to someone else?
1: So they thought that they could make more with me overall. So mm-hmm. maybe for the pre existing sponsor, maybe they would make less from that one, but I would bring them more sponsors. Right. So yeah, I and, think that was the decision.
0: Got it. And then you mentioned you decided to start a network when you had the sort of the network or the connections. What kind of connections did you have that convinced you to be like, all right, let's do it now? Was it connections to the sponsors and brands or something else?
1: No, connections in the podcasting world. So um, from going to conferences and meeting you know, people like you that you would never meet elsewhere, I just started introducing myself to people and trying to meet everybody that I could. And I met a lot of very successful people. And some of them just said, you know, no one is doing this in the sober space. Mm -hmm. No one has brought together sober shows. You need to do this. It will be very successful. And I had two separate people encourage me to do it and they gave me some tips. So then I did it.
0: That's awesome. And today, fast forward to today, it sounds like you have a very successful network. So congratulations. Um, Thank you. And it's a great niche. I agree. Do you spend most of your day, like, do you do all the ad sales for your network?
1: So I outsource to an agency that helps Mm me. So then they take an additional cut too for their work. They take 30%, which is pretty standard. The 20%, the 30% are pretty standard for networks. But yeah, they help me do it. But it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. Like every time you listen to a show and there's like a little ad break, someone listened to that show and they were like, this is the perfect spot for an ad break. So I have to do that. And there's over 500 episodes across (laughs) my network. So it's a, it's a ton of work and emails back and forth and negotiating and coordinating. Like it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress.
0: (laughs) So you do what's called the ad ops, I think. So there's mid-rolls, it sounds like, for every episode. And you're actually tagging the point in the episodes of every show on your network. You're tagging that point of where the ad goes.
1: Not every show has them. Like for my show, my episodes are mostly like 15 minutes. So a Uh mid-roll doesn't make sense. But most shows in the network do have one to two mid-rolls. So I have to find the best spot for it. And if it's two, then it's a lot.
0: Got it. Yeah, that is a lot. I guess that's what the assistant is probably there for too, right? Yeah. And explain to me how the math works a little bit. So the agency that you hire out, do they take the first 30% of the deal? And then there's a 20-80 split with you in the shows, right?
1: Yeah. So they take 30%, then they pay out to me. Mm -hmm. Then I take my 20% and then I pay out to my podcasters. Got it. So I'm like the middle person funneling all the communication and the money.
0: Right. That makes sense. The agency pays you and then you What do you actually what do you, what do you do? Do you 1099 everyone else or? Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. That's interesting. Do you sell the ad spots by industry standard CPMs or is it higher or lower?
1: Yeah, we use the standard and then based on the sponsor they may want to negotiate lower or something like that. So every deal is a bit different.
0: And these are host red too, right? Yep. Got it. So I take it anywhere from 20 to $40 CPM. Yep. Okay, cool. That's very cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Ton of benefits for joining a network like this and what's your goal for the network? Like do you have pretty lofty goals of getting a lot more shows or getting better sponsors or getting your own ad sales team or where do you want to take it from here?
1: Good question. I would like to get a lot more shows, obviously. <laughs> um, and get What's the us ideal? Maybe 10? I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know yet. Yeah, I'll have to see, but hopefully not all at the same time. But I would like mm-hmm. to get more shows and get them all sponsors and have us all work together and share our expertise. And I think really what I want to do is show the podcasting world that Networks don't have to be these big corporations. They can be, and that's great. But a network started by one random person who cares can also be really successful and good for podcasters. So I kind of want to show that that's possible to other people who want to start one, but they're not sure.
0: For sure. I want to follow your journey because I am super interested in this idea of an independent network. And I asked you how big, because you're right. When I think of independent, I'm thinking even the size that you have, it seems incredible that y'all could get 400,000 downloads a month and sell across that. That's really cool. Thank you. And for the shows that you work with, are they doing it full time too? Or is it kind of a side for some of them?
1: Um, It's a combo. I think everybody's podcast supports their business Mm -hmm. in some way. Like I, some of the people that host the shows in my network, they're therapists. So that's their main job is their private practice. Other people are coaches. So that's their main thing. And then the podcast supports it. So no one is a full-time podcaster, Mm -hmm. but the podcast is like a percentage And then it supports all the other stuff.
0: Got it. So the ad revenue that they do generate is just kind of icing on the cake a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's a bonus. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it helps prevent pod fade because I feel like a lot of podcasters, they start, they try to grow, they try to monetize, they don't have too much success and they keep trying. And then (laughs) eventually, like, they get really discouraged and quit. So I feel like having, this success can help them continue for a very long time. Yeah,
0: that's a good point because I think a lot of people, when they think of sponsorship revenue and things like that, they think of, can it replace like a full-time income? But maybe it's just like one stream of income that if it provides anything, it's some validation that this podcast exists and it prevents podfade.
1: Yeah. And if if you wanted to replace your income completely, you would probably need somewhere between like 150 and 200,000 downloads a month Mm, to start. I mean, depending on how much you want to make. But yeah, I think that would be like a good starting place if you want to be full time. But most shows, it's more of a support thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's supporting some other revenue streams. That totally makes sense so part of the reason why a show would join your podcast network is to help with the monetization but you also said to help them market their podcasts so i want to dive into your big podcast growth hack now and i think this is something you shared on stage at podcast movement right so maybe start with maybe broadly what was your topic at podcast movement
1: yeah so when i speak i will usually talk about social media strategy in general or i'll talk about how to get more exposure and then a component of that is social media
0: got it so let's dive into social media and is your platform of choice you mentioned it earlier instagram yep why instagram
1: um i like it i knew how to use it i feel like facebook is very dramatic So, I I just like naturally didn't want to be over there. Twitter, Mm. I have no clue how to use that. (laughs) So, I think Instagram was just, I already knew. And there's a very large sober community on Instagram. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Be where your community is. Yep. Yep. So, you have a main hack that you call sneak attack. I want to hear about this. I don't think I I can't even picture what it is in my head.
1: (laughs) It's a good one. And I made it up because I was just trying to figure out, like, how do I get these people to listen? If they would just listen to my show, they would like it and subscribe and it would help them, but they just need to give it a chance. And I tried for the first year with the new episode is out and like trying to make different iterations of that post to get people to care. And I did get some improvement every time I made a change, but it wasn't really working. And then around that time, the like quote card kind of posts got popular Mm -hmm. where it would just be like one square with some kind of impactful phrase. And I thought, what if I made that about my episode? So I tried to do that and it was much better. Huge, Mm -hmm. huge jump from the new episode is outposts. But it wasn't great. And then I figured out the reason. I'm telling people up front, listen to my podcast. And they see that and their mind triggers them to be like, I don't care. I don't listen to this show. And they just swipe by it. Mm-hmm. So my main point whenever I do a talk or, or like work with someone or share a strategy somewhere is no one cares about a podcast they don't listen to. They just mm-hmm. don't care because mm-hmm. they don't listen to it. So it's not important to them. They're very busy. Everyone's trying to get them to listen to their thing or go watch their YouTube or download their free guide. And they just don't have space to care. Mm -hmm. So the sneak attack is all about tricking them into caring (laughs) and then telling them, by the way, it's a podcast. It's kind of like what I was doing in Facebook Mm groups. So I do this mainly with carousel posts, but it can be done with reels too. And I will make a carousel post with some information from the episode. Like I'll just freely give away one of the points from the episode. Sometimes I'll make diagrams and stuff like that. Um, So feel free, anyone, to go look at my carousels. They're all promotional posts. And in the last slide, I'm like, if you want to learn more, Mm -hmm. go listen to episode whatever. And then in the caption, too. Don't tell them it's a podcast. Like whenever you're making any kind of post, think in your head, whatever you do, don't tell them it's a podcast. You want people (laughs) to get invested in the post Mm -hmm. and then let them know. Because if you lead with this as a podcast, they're not going to even look at it. So that's why I like to sneak attack people because you get them into the post. They swipe through the slides of the carousel or they read the caption or they watch the reel. And it helps them. Some of them they won't care and they'll leave. But for a good amount of them, it's helpful for them. It's answering their question. It's giving them some ideas. It's making them laugh, whatever your show is about. And then when you sprinkle in, by the way, this is an episode. You can get even more of this. Then they're more likely to go do it. And also, when you do a sneak attack post, because it's valuable by itself, People will follow you from that. Like my carousel posts get pushed out to 100,000 to 200,000 people. And then I'll get, you know, depending on the post, like 1,500 to 5,000 followers from one carousel. And mm-hmm. it's a promotional post. It's still a new episode is out I'm just not revealing it. So the point is to not tell them where they can get the value, just give them some value and then say, if you want even more, Go listen to my podcast.
0: That's a great tip. Are all your posts promotional posts for an episode?
1: Not all of them. So I do, I have a combo. I'll have some promotional posts and then I'll have some reels that are just relatable or funny or something like that. So I have a mixture. Um, not everything is promotional, but most are. You can even take a funny reel and connect it back to an old topic. Like sometimes I'll be like, "Oh, learn more about this in episode sixty, which happened over a year ago." But your new episode, your old episodes, excuse me, are not dead. You can keep right. promoting old episodes too.
0: Right. You could keep repurposing them. Out of curiosity, I know everyone is very fascinated by reels and a lot of podcasters are frankly, probably a little scared of it, right? Because you have to kind of show up on them a lot. How do they do compared to your carousel posts?
1: My carousels are the best.
0: Oh, wow. That's surprising because I thought, you know, everyone's saying Instagram is prioritizing videos and all, but still you're seeing the carousels do well.
1: Yeah. My carousels are the best because they get thousands of shares because they're very informative and helpful
0: right because people want to reshare these types of like little nuggets of truth within exactly
1: they're much easier to share than an informative reel. If you are doing a reel, those are those work too, and they're helpful. But I've found just looking at my analytics, my carousels are way better, but hmm. it's going to depend on the account. Some people have more reach with their reels.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you use any tricks to drive people who look at the posts and they get to that last slide and they do want to listen to the episode? Do they just go to your link in the bio or something like that? or?
1: Yeah. I just say, go to the link in my bio. And then the first button is listen to the podcast. Got it.
0: Okay. And what link in the bio tool do you use?
1: I use campsite, which I don't think a lot of people use, but it's really good. It's $70 a year Hmm. and you can actually make three different link bios. So if you have multiple accounts, you can use your same campsite for multiple link in bios and it lets you schedule links so you can schedule out the new link for your episode and it'll pull in feeds from YouTube and other mm-hmm. things like that. So you don't have to post your new videos in there. If you do YouTube, it'll automatically pull them and update it. So it's it's really cool. I love it.
0: Yeah. And this is amazing. I'm looking at your Instagram now and I see your link in bio. And 43,000 followers. You grew this. You said you had zero followers just when you started your podcast, which is what was that? You said two years ago?
1: Yep, June 2020.
0: Wow. So you really, I mean, when you say grind, I could <laughs> see the, the results of the work. 43,000 followers. And I mean, what did you spend more time doing? Do you spend more time growing your Instagram or did you spend more time growing your podcast? Like which came first?
1: Definitely more time on the podcast But then I devoted time every single day to, I like really, really grinded that Instagram account. (laughs) That took a lot of work. That wasn't just me showing up on some funny reels or like stupid trends. That was a lot of work to get there. And yeah, every day grinding. I basically switched the Facebook group one to two hours a day grind with Instagram grind. Mm,
0: mm -hmm. So one or two hours a day and looks like you do post a lot every day. And I like it. Everything looks consistent. We see your face in it. We see these quotes. No, I dig it. I think it's a great strategy. Um, And is this what you do? You mentioned in your podcast network, you help them with marketing. Is this a playbook you run for them?
1: Yeah, so I don't control their social media, but I do teach them what I know and help them learn to market on social media or how to like convince people to listen. Because most podcasters do the new episode is out like boring kind of post.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I do, I think.
1: Or a sound bite, which is even worse. (laughs) (laughs) I know
0: audiograms are not getting a lot of love right now.
1: (laughs) No, don't even waste your time. Don't waste your time on that.
0: That's interesting. Um, Yeah, I I might have to take that advice. It is. um, I feel like I learned how to do it very quickly. I'm like, it's not wasting time. You know, it's just weird. I'm just such a visual guy. And it seems like it would work. But you're right. I think I'm hearing so much advice. It doesn't work. And I think the thing that people say, it's like, it's hard to convert a social media consumer into a podcast listener. Yep. And I, you know, I'm going to push back a little bit still on your Instagram trick, pushback meaning, do you think like really was this a turning point for your podcast growth is your Instagram
1: growth? Yeah, that's what I believe. I think once I figured out how to both grow my page and convert mm-hmm. Instagram followers into listeners, my podcast grew like crazy. So. In the second year of my podcast, I quadrupled the downloads from year one. And I did that from Instagram and from guesting on other shows. I was on a lot of shows. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I love the guesting. And even when I did some research on you, I think you just did one last week. You just showed up on (laughs) something last week. Do you try to do these on like a weekly basis?
1: It's, It's weird. Sometimes I'll have none. And sometimes I'll have like five.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you actively seek them out or kind of just passively when people ask you?
1: Both. Um, So sometimes I'll connect with people and it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. Other times people will ask me, but yeah, I get. And now that I have 43,000 followers, like I just naturally get a lot of guest asks because people see the following so i don't say yes to all of those because we we can detect when you just want our followers and you're not that interested in us but yeah i do i do a lot and i i like it and that's how i've built relationships with people too is from being on their show
0: totally i feel like that's kind of like the main reason why i do it is just to build relationships so the marketing work that you do for the shows in your network you mentioned cross-promotion is that pretty much the sort of the main formal way you help them market their podcast, or are there other sort of more formalized ways you do it?
1: Yeah, so I'm not doing any paid advertising for them. It's all organic and I've never done paid either, but I will teach them what I know. Mm-hmm. I'll try to get them more exposure. I promote them on my own page and we cross promote. So we're about to run some promos in October where like we just swapped with each other. And then in November, we'll just swap with different shows and then just drive our listeners to another show that they might be interested in Mm -hmm. that they weren't aware of.
0: And do you do full episode swaps or is it just promo swaps?
1: Just promo, but um, we might do one. Actually, one of my podcasters proposed it and I thought it was a really good idea. It's not really a feed drop, but it's like if you have an episode where you're talking about shame, for example... And then I have done an episode on shame. Then that podcaster could take like a clip
0: Mm. from
1: mine into their episode. So we haven't tried it yet, but I think it's a really good idea.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. It's like relevant to that episode. For these promos, do you treat it as a DIA? Yes. Okay, so you could swap those out programmatically too. Yep. Got it. That's super cool. Yeah, because whenever people talk about promo swaps, I think most people still think of it as just like that embedded promo, but you treat it as an actual programmatic ad.
1: Yeah, don't bake it in because I can promote your show in October across my entire podcast. And then next month, I can promote this other show across my entire podcast. So if you bake it in you're, you're like removing potential ad slots that you have that right. now you can't use anymore. Right,
0: and speaking of ad that slots, that's what I was gonna ask you earlier. So when you're using this third party advertising sales agency, and kind of related to what I asked about how many shows do you wanna grow your network to, is it hard to get 100% ad fills for all this inventory?
1: That is a really good question, yes it is hard. Some shows are easier than others. Like my show is at hundred percent full for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. Other shows, they're slowly working up to that. So it depends on the demographic that the sponsor wants to hit too. So they know information, not just about the numbers, but like who the people are, like what their ages are, what gender they are stuff like that. So that determines who the sponsor is too. So sometimes they just want to target certain demographics more, but I do have hope that we'll get all the shows (laughs) to a hundred percent.
0: And what makes it, I I mean, you mentioned demographic, what makes a show harder to fill and easier to fill?
1: Yeah, that's a good question too. I think what would make it easier to fill is a shorter show like mine. Mine's very short. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of history of being very successful with previous sponsors and driving a lot of growth and income for them. So that makes more sponsors want to work with me. And I think it's the the topics too. They might just prefer one topic over another Mm -hmm. or think that their people might be listening to a certain topic over a different one.
0: So when a sponsor comes to you now, they're going through your network, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. So it all goes through the network. It doesn't go through the podcaster.
0: I see. And then they're actually asking to be placed in specific shows versus just across your whole network. And
1: Yeah. Some want to be across the whole network. Some just want to target specific shows. And that might just be a demographic thing. It could also be a budget thing because, Mm -hmm. you know, the amount of downloads that we have is expensive. So they might target half our shows because that's what works for their budget. So there's a lot of different factors.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I've I've also dabbled with the idea of advertising on shows. And yeah, the budget thing is interesting because you would think I I would rather be on many more shows to get more exposure to different audiences versus on one show. So that's interesting that advertisers actually handpicking their shows Well, this is super awesome. You've given so much value, quite honestly. And sorry I took up so much of your time.
1: (laughs) No, this is so fun for me. Oh, yeah. I could tell you
0: you love podcasting, which is why I love talking (laughs) to people like you. That's awesome. But I do want to be conscious of your time. So we always end off our episodes with our final quickfire questions. So starting with question number one, do you collect listener emails? Yes, I do. Yeah. And how do you do it?
1: So I have a couple different ways. I think the most successful one right now is I have a free three-day email challenge. Hmm. So they get an email every day that helps them not drink or reevaluate their mindset around ah. drinking. So that one's super successful. That's brilliant. Um, so every
0: day for three days to have to take a challenge to not drink.
1: Yep. So if you do a challenge, people love that. They just love the idea of a challenge. And I think that's more attractive than like an ebook or something. I also have an ebook that gets me some and has got me a lot over the years, but I think the challenge is really driving it. And then I just plug it in my show too. I say, if you want to connect with me, you can get emails from me using the link in the show notes. And then I tag people wherever, like I have people tagged that came from the challenge. I have people tagged that used the link in the show notes on my podcast, people tagged that used the link in my bio on my Instagram. So like I know where everyone's coming from and I know like what's successful and what I should not devote as much time to.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. I love it. Very smart. So question two, uh, what's the last podcast you actually recommended to someone?
1: The last one is The Emotional Badass, which is in my network. And I recommended that to my members last night when we had a meeting and we were talking about boundaries. And The Emotional Badass has so many episodes about boundaries. So, And she's in my network, so... I'm marketing for her <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's a signal of a good uh podcast network question number three how much time do you spend producing each of your episodes
1: at least 10 hours um my episodes require a lot of research so it's usually oh. like five hours of research and then i condense that down into a 15 minute episode so just the research portion yeah, is a lot of work.
0: Yeah, I was listening to some of your episodes and I was like, wow, the research yeah. must go into this because you get into the biology and probably neuroscience, too, I imagine a lot of work. So kudos to you. That is grind. Question number four. What's your favorite podcast tool?
1: I think one that I'm excited about right now is Riverside. Mm. And that's because of all the new stuff. I used Riverside like over a year ago. And it was good and it did its job and it was affordable. Um, the Magic Editor wasn't that great back then, but they've made so many changes and now you can make something that's like YouTube dimension. You can make a clip that's set up to be a reel. Mm. So you can then, instead of you know posting a boring soundbite, you can post like a video soundbite that you make in Riverside real quick. And they set it up for you and normalize the audio. So I think I'm really excited about that i just started using it again and it's been fun i edited some stuff in there real quick yesterday Mm. and it was very simple
0: that's cool and you mentioned youtube are you on youtube too
1: i was on youtube and i was consistent on there but it was really hard with you know just time and now i just post monthly so i have a live stream for my membership and then i take a clip and i put that on youtube and i'm like hey if you like this join the membership. I'd love to see you in there. <laughs> so just once a yeah. month now.
0: And I think you might get a chance to ask you about your membership. You have a membership that you sell to your listeners?
1: Yeah. So I just started it um, about a month ago. Wow. And it's a community. We have meetings once or twice a week for support. There's a premium podcast, um, hmm. stuff like that. So it's just to support them in their right. journey and and make them feel that they're not alone and that they're cared about.
0: Got it. So it's like a community group. It's not a course or anything like that. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm actually usually surprised not more podcasters do that. They always like jump straight to course.
1: Yes, (laughs) they do. Some people just
0: want a community, you know, they don't want to learn anything. They just want to hang out with other people. Cool. And what social media platform are you on the most? I take it it's Instagram, right? Yeah. Okay. Right on. And the final question, what's your primary call to action at the end of each episode?
1: It switches a lot. I never do the same one. And this was actually, here's your answer to what we were talking about before we Mm -hmm. started recording. But sometimes if it's a really good episode and like I recorded and I just felt like it was great. At the end of the episode, I'll say, by the way, if you liked this episode, I would love if you could take a minute and leave a five star rating and a review. It helps the podcast get discovered by more people. Who would benefit from this information? And I don't say it every time. I only say it after a really good episode. I mean, they're all good, but you know what I mean? And then I will get like a big boost in ratings and reviews from that. Other ones, join my membership, obviously. Sometimes nothing. Sometimes just like, thanks for being here you're amazing. I'll talk to you next week. So it changes all the time. Mm. And when you, when you change it up, they don't tune you out. Mm. Something that people do is they'll, they'll repeat the same thing over and over, like connect with us in the Facebook group and leave us a rating and a review. It helps the podcast (laughs) so much. And if you want to donate, blah, blah, blah. And when you repeat that over and over and over, they just tune it right out. Right. So you got to change it.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that. I'm guilty of the thing that lazy beginner podcasts do where they just record the clip and use that recorded clip over and over again. And I'm already feeling it, I think close to episode 20. And I'm like, okay, I got to change it out. Um, But do you ever kind of leave it on there for a little bit longer just to kind of drive it home?
1: Leave what on?
0: Uh, The same call to action. No. Oh, well, you change it out a lot then.
1: Yeah, I change it every episode and I just record it like in the moment, like as, as I end the episode and I'm finishing up recording, I just kind of say something that's on my mind somewhere for them to go or nothing. And then I just say, and I'll talk to you next week. (laughs) And then the music plays.
0: And do you at least have the rating and review one? Because like you said, in researching your show, you have an average of 4.9 stars on Apple Podcasts and 480 ratings. And that's something I'm trying to increase right now. That's a lot of reviews. So you only just periodically give that call to action?
1: Yep. So for example, anyone listening, if you enjoyed this episode, I'm sure that you did because we talked about a ton of cool stuff in here you should totally go leave a five-star rating and a review because then it helps more people discover this really cool episode that would help them learn how to use social media and get more exposure. (laughs) Just sprinkle it only on like when you do an episode and you feel like, Oh, that's That's so good. yeah. Then you do it.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. Even as I'm listening back in my head, some of the podcasters that I love, they only kind of do it on their favorite episodes. Which sometimes it's like all of them.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: But I want to give a plug to you. What's one call to action that you're excited about for yourself right now?
1: Something I'm really excited about is I'm starting a new podcast.
0: Whoa, big.
1: And I, yep. And I'm calling it The Grind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You use that word so much. I'm like, Okay that's cool um yep. so
1: it's obvious what it's about if you've ever heard me speak yeah so it's called the grind a business podcast that's so cool. it's gonna be more of this
0: more of this targeted towards podcasters or businesses in general
1: everybody yeah
0: everybody well i'm definitely going to subscribe where can they go find it now
1: the trailer is going to be out soon i have to record it so mm-hmm. But it's officially going to be coming out probably in January, but the trailer will be out much sooner everywhere. Okay. Probably sometime in October. It'll be everywhere.
0: And I'm sure people could find it on your Instagram. What's your Instagram handle again?
1: It's dot.
0: Sober.powered. Sober.powered. Well, there you have it, folks. If you enjoyed Jill or Jillian, go follow her on Instagram. I just looked at her Instagram. It's amazing. It's a wealth of information, especially if you just followed this episode. Go follow her at sober.powered at Instagram. Well, thanks for being on the show, Jill.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Podcast Growth Hacks. If you like the show, please tell a fellow podcaster about it. This really does help keep our show going. And if you have a podcast growth question that you're kind of curious about, well, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave me an audio message by going to podinbox.com slash podcast. Once again, that's podinbox.com slash podcast. I'll include that link in my show notes. I personally respond to all questions I receive there. And once I get your question, I'll find the podcasting expert to answer it on an upcoming episode. We'll play your question, and I'll even give you a shout-out. Until the next episode, keep creating and keep growing your show.